Hey, Lucas Miles, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am so excited to have you here today, my friend. How are you? I am doing well. I, I've done a couple interviews today, but I got to say, I was looking forward to seeing you the most. So it's it's Aww. good to be uh, to chat again and, and uh, always appreciate it. Yeah, so I am super excited. This is a little bit outside of my norm, but I felt like this was such an important topic for us to discuss. So today, we're going to talk about your new book, The Christian Left Details the Growing Deception of Progressive Christianity, How the American Church Has Ended Up on the Brink of Apostasy. That is a mouthful. Sounds heavy, doesn't it? And Wow, yeah. Yeah, but I can think of no better person to tackle this subject than you. Oh, I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. So I want to know, first off, what prompted you to write this book? Yeah, so the the book, The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. It. I've been a pastor since uh, I, I started preaching at 17. So I've been doing this a while. I'll be 42 this year. And, you know, over the last, I'll say, you know, maybe as late as 10 years ago, but for sure within the last three to five years, I've been seeing, you know, what the New York Times has uh, has described as this ascendant liberal Christianity. Um, this sort of new version of Christianity that's really on the rise, um, where Jesus is portrayed more as a social reformer uh, than the savior of the world. And and I, I think that there are some very, uh, um, some people with some very good intentions uh, that have gotten caught up in this. Uh, there's certainly some bad actors, you know, as well that are are kind of leading the brigade. Um, but I wanted to help people to be able to kind of wade through some of these challenging conversations in our culture, uh, certainly some of the moral, uh, you know, dilemmas that we face, how these things line up with scripture, and with really the purpose of helping the church maybe as a whole, uh, or at least playing a small part in it, uh, in, in finding their way back to, you know, what I refer to in the book as biblical orthodoxy. And, and I think that, you know, just to be clear, when I talk about, you know, progressive ideology or liberal thought, this isn't a Republican or Democrat thing for me. Uh, this is really about what do we believe about Scripture? What do we believe about Jesus? And uh, I think that our faith, you know, can guide our politics, but our politics should not dictate our faith. And, and so it's, I think this is just, a, it's the right time for this conversation, I think. It's, it's been very... Uh, I can't tell you how many thank yous I've gotten from people for writing this book already, and it's it's just now releasing. Uh, and so I'm just excited to see what God's going to do with this, and and um, you know, hopefully it uh, it can help in the conversation. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing. Too often, um, people don't come to the table to have the conversation, and um, and so I think that it's important to just come here and have this discussion. So one of the things that you say is um, that liberal thought has entered America's sanctuaries, exchanging the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the Trinity of diversity, acceptance, and social justice. How have you seen the left drift from Christian orthodoxy? Sure. So I, I'm, in, uh, I'm in South Bend, Indiana. It's a blue county and a red state. And, you know, I'm here downtown. I'm, a, I'm across from the county city building. Um, and I can tell you that even in my immediate area, you know, if you were to come by, I could drive you within within a, you know, maybe a half a mile radius and find five or six churches that are flying out in front of Marxist BLM flags, 
uh, and and you know rainbow kind of LGBT flags. And these are entities that you know are established denominational churches that historically have been really part of you know South Bend has a very rich religious history, very rich Christian history, but recently has really been hijacked by this sort of leftist you know agenda. Uh, a lot of that here locally, you know, came through um, uh, the uh, uh, when Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who ran for Democratic uh, uh, candidate for uh, president, uh, was was uh, in office here in the South Bend area. Uh, and that really kind of opened up a door for a lot of that conversation, I think, encouragement of the Christian left and progressive Christian you know, ideology. But this isn't isolated to South Bend. This is happening around the country, uh, even even publications that have been historically um uh, you know, really Christian pillars and conversations of, of uh, you know, instruction for pastors and what is the gospel and, you know, things like Christianity Today. You know, it feels more and more that the articles that are being put out by some of these entities are, are you know, kind of focused on um, uh, sort of this woke culture uh, rather than gospel or kingdom culture. And, and so I think that there are individuals attending churches across the country that they're hearing some of this from the pulpit and they're trying to decide what's the gospel, you know, is which is the real Jesus, the savior of the world or the social organizer, the one who builds utopia here, the one that builds the kingdom later. And how do we sort through that? And how do we navigate that? And so um, I think that uh, it, it's, we're probably past due for this conversation uh, in many ways. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping that we can step back from some of these beliefs, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people have written me and saying, Our, my church is now teaching critical race theory or my Christian college has now introduced critical race theory in their diversity programs, you know, that they have. Um, and and these are these are things that are, you know, uh, they're they're antithetical to the gospel. And as Christians, we can't just sit back. We have to address it and we can do so in love, but we have to do so in truth as well. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Marxism, so I'd love to dig into that for just a minute. How has the radical Marxist agenda deceived the church? Yeah, so, I mean, there's really a long history here. Um, you know, it, it would I've traced it back in my book, The Christian Left, all the way back to the 1700s. Uh, we could argue that the Tower of Babel is, you know, maybe the first Marxist, you know, uh, uh, group in, in civilization. And and even, even Adam has some leftist tendencies by not taking personal responsibility for his actions and blaming his wife and, and God for the reason why he, you know, has sinned. Um, but, you know, I think if we look at this um, in, you know, I'm a, I'm a history guy, also certainly a student of philosophy. Uh, there, you know, this really probably arose out of the the um, Enlightenment and post Enlightenment period with guys like Kant and Voltaire, and and especially a guy like Hegel, and and their ideas of of God, and which is probably not even for some of them a, a proper term, um, but uh, I think that it inspired these notions of biblical criticism, basically looking at Scripture and beginning to dissect it. Um, based upon human reasoning, which was really the God of the Enlightenment. And that gave birth to uh, um, sort of this view of Jesus, what was called the historic Jesus, where Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, was the great social organizer rather than the savior. 
And they really stripped him of all of his divine attributes. They thought that those things were just Christian myths that have kind of hung on over the years. The virgin birth, you know, miracles, uh, you know, the, the resurrection from the dead, any sort of conversation about heaven and hell, you know, that, that doesn't fit into human logic. So let's just toss that aside. So they were left with what they called the historic Jesus, which is really this sort of non-existent being that they've sort of made up from taking a little bit of the biography of Jesus of the Bible and, and, you know, it's, it's not really a person to be worshipped for the left. It's somebody to help their agenda. Um, Marx was not particularly, you know, a faith-oriented guy, although, you know, Hegel did talk about an idea of God, a, a reality of God. It was certainly differs, you know, uh, greatly and drastically from the Christian idea of God. Uh, but Marx was really um, inspired by Hegel. And this progressive ideology. And there is this, this thing in Hegelian thought that's known as this dialectic. It's basically this sort of conflict that takes place. Marx sort of grabbed a hold of this and actually and amplified it much further. And that is that, um, that essentially truth or freedom is experienced through the conflict. And this is what has gone on eventually to form what we know today as liberation theology or critical race theory. And that is that, you know, it is in the in this conversation of the oppressed and the oppressor and the 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 the, um, you know, uh, the most numerous class, as, um, you know, some of the early Christian socialists would refer to it, that that basically God has favor or God has more favor or to some God only has favor for those who are oppressed and anybody in society who the left or progressives deem the oppressor are people that God has nothing to do with. And, and actually, and here's the amazing thing in progressive Christianity, they tell you very clearly that the God that they worship is not the same God that, you know, Christianity, historic Christianity has preached for the last, you know, 2000 years, James Cone in his book, um, uh, the history of black theology makes it very clear that the Jesus that he espouses is not the same Jesus that we read about in 2000 years of her church history. And so, it's, it's very clear the left is worshiping a different God, a different Jesus, and that Jesus does not really have a whole lot in common with the God that we find in Scripture. Yeah, wow. That is a lot to take in. Um, so, yeah. So let me just change the subject real quick. Um, in your book, you also talk about the Christian cabal. And this is an elite group of leftists influencing Christian media and ministries. I want you to tell me more about that. I mean, when you say it, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> I mean, it just, or like a James Bond villain, like the Christian cabal, you know, who are these guys? You know, they're all sitting around a chair or table or whatever. And, you know, muahaha. And, and, and I, you know, they're not, it's not that it's this organized, you know, uh, structured group that, you know, has a secret layer someplace. But the reality is, and that, um, and as you know, like, look, I'm I'm an insider within Christian media and industry. You know, this is my third book that I've put out. Uh, I've been around Christian publishers. I've been around, you know, I've I've made multiple, you know, films. I've done deals with Netflix, Redbox, Walmart. Um, you know, I, I've I've sat in these conversations, and and I know a lot of these guys in the space. And let me just say to start with, there are some wonderful people in the Christian music business, Christian film business, Christian publishing. And I, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of them. And I'm so thankful 
uh, for people within this business that have really, you know, stood upon uh, biblical orthodoxy, that have, you know, found ways to unite despite even denominational differences and, and really come together for the purpose of sharing the gospel, making Jesus famous and helping to get this message out and providing some great, you know, faith-based, family-friendly entertainment. You know, that's, that's uh, uh, we, you know, we, we've both benefited, you know, from individuals like this. But there are those power brokers. I think they're a minority in in kind of the Christian industry, uh, but they're very much present, and and some of them have a lot of influence. And there's some power brokers out there that are um, have been heavily influenced by progressive ideology, leftist theory, critical race theory, Marxism, etc. And some of these guys are have really uh, gone through um, uh, what is being referred to as a deconversion experience. You know, we can think of individuals like, you know, Jen Hatmaker and Jonathan Merritt and, uh, um, you know, uh, others that have have really sort of celebrated, you know, multiple, you know, Christian artists come to mind. Uh, You know, Matthew Paul Turner, who, you know, um, you know, used to be one of, I believe, an editor for uh, CCM magazine and then, uh, you know, went on to, you know, he's writing children's books now. Uh, You know, that these individuals have have gone through oftentimes what they call a deconversion experience. They've left their evangelical roots. And they're sort of pursuing this new form of Christianity, um, which, you know, could only be described really as the Christian left or progressive Christianity. And the amazing thing is, despite the fact that a lot of these individuals have publicly um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, taken taken hits at the idea of the infallibility of Scripture or or some of the values that that evangelicals would hold to or the biblical view of marriage or sexuality or gender, um, they still get publishing deals. Uh, they still get access to whatever Christian, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, online platform, uh, uh, journalistic opportunity uh, that they want and because they have a following. And uh, and there's also, you know, there's filmmakers. There's, uh, you know, even even guys like, uh, you know, Phil Vischer, who, you know, creator of one of the creators of VeggieTales, who, you know, has been kind of a mainstay in the Christian world. You know, if you go to his podcast, he's talking all the time about critical race theory. He's promoting things like evolution. Um, you know, he is, is really distanced himself from any sort of evangelical uh, Christianity. And now, I mean, th- some of these guys, they're going to go, who's this guy who's talking about us, right? Because they, they may or may not, you know, know who I am. I know some of these guys better than others. But, you know, I've been in this circle long enough to kind of see this transpire. And it's not that I'm just like wanting to go after these individuals, but I, I do want to make it clear, like we're we're given very explicit instructions in Scripture. Yes, we love everyone and we want to reach out to everyone. But Paul has some really strong words for people in the church that that walk away from um, biblical orthodoxy, from the teachings of Jesus and begin, you know, sort of, you know, teaching some other gospel. And he's got very strong words about that and kind of, you know, gives us instructions about stay away from these people. And, you know, I'm not trying to cancel them. I'm not trying to hate on them. Um, But I do want people to realize that just because something is called Christian doesn't mean all, you know, Christian content is equal. And some of it is biblically sound. And some of it is really, you know, sort of this leftist propaganda of people that have gone woke and uh, are, I think, using Christianity or this sort of this this message of the Christian left to sort of justify their various you know positions that they hold to. Yeah, and and I think some of it is even so subtle that if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't know the Bible, it sounds good. But then the Bible talks about that too in the last days. Like we're going to hear things that tickle our ears, and we're going to want to go after those things. And so, I'm so glad that you are making a stand and um, telling people, you know, 
go to scripture and go back to that biblical orthodoxy because just because someone has a platform, just because a magazine has Christian in its name, it doesn't mean that everything that they're putting out lines up with scripture. So now I'm going to hit you with a big one because this this is a really important question. The left is engrossed in abortion and in transgenderism. And um, I have seen just rampantly the transgenderism, especially affecting um, young people. It is frightening. Um, and, uh, and people on the left who can, you know, say they believe in God, yet say it's okay to murder babies. So I, I want to hear what you have to say uh, about that. Lucas. You know, I, I call these these issues sort of the canary in the cage. You know, if you're if you're attending a church or maybe you're looking for a church and you're trying to figure out has this church, you know, sort of, you know, um, uh, have they embraced this this woke gospel, this leftist the message? Um, and again, when I when I say leftist or progressive, you know, just as a reminder, this isn't this isn't a political thing. You know, you can be a Democrat and be a Christian. I just want to make that really clear. Uh, now, if you're a disciple and a Christian. You, you know, it should lead you to a pro-life position. It should lead you to a position of, you know, recognizing a biblical view of, you know, marriage, gender, sexuality, all of those things. Uh, and there there used to be a day where there was more Democrats uh, out there than there are now who believed, you know, who were pro-life, who did believe. I mean, even Obama at the start of his, uh, um, you know, first term was was campaigning on the fact that he still believed in a, in a traditional view of marriage. That changed very quickly after he got in office, but that was at least a talking point for him. So this is this is escalated very quickly, um, and I think that these things are they're the canary in the cage. Basically, they're they're issues that we look to to kind of see, you know, and using that illustration, if there's any poisonous gas that's coming out of this uh, out of the mouth of this cave that we might want to look out for, and if the canaries are falling over dead, it's time to get the miners out. And I think as Christians, you know, if we're in a church and we're seeing churches really um, uh, you know, support uh, uh, abortion. You know, there, I, I write about in the book, in one of the chapters, there is an incident in um, Bethesda, Pennsylvania, where, you know, I'm kind of describing this, where this group of pastors are gathering outside of an abortion clinic, and they're praying. And you expect them to be praying for the moms, for the unborn, you know, for God to somehow intervene. And as it comes out, these pastors are there specifically to pray for the abortionists as they do the work of God by aborting these babies. And I wish that this was an isolated incident. These individuals travel all around the country to pray for abortionists. It's a group of Christian progressives who believe that abortion is actually part of God's plan to help these mothers. And it's really the best way to love these mothers is by killing their children and mm-hmm. doing it, you know, doing it humanely and, and you know, with dignity and respect as if, as, as, as if that's possible. And, and there's, there's abortionists who are Christians, you know, the Christian left who are performing abortions, feeling like it is their call in ministry to do this. And so we have gotten the gospel so twisted, we've misunderstood, and the left really struggles with the idea of love, love to a leftist, you know, and again, there's a spectrum here. Not everybody that, you know, uh, I've said it this way, not everybody who put a black square on Instagram is a leftist, you know, I mean, there's there's sort of this spectrum of, of uh, um, you know, kind of uh, how we how we look to these things. It doesn't mean you're Marxist just because you know uh, um, you know you've you've maybe made one tweet before or something. Um, but I think that when you really kind of fall into this fully, uh, the left is really confused love, and they see love is if you agree with me, 
And if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. And where the Bible tells us that Jesus came in grace and truth, and that those things are both really present in, in, in an atmosphere of love. And you can't separate them apart from each other because to, to love someone is to have grace for them. And it's also to be willing to speak truth for them, uh, to them because truth, truth heals, truth helps, truth, truth protects. Um, so, you know, these issues, they're a secondary problem. The bigger issue is really how people are handling scripture and how people are handling Jesus. But based upon how they handle scripture and Jesus will lead them into the acceptance of, I think, these other things that you're mentioning. Yeah, I, I think it's also a sin problem, which is yeah. the, the the age old problem of the world from the very beginning. Um, and God is holy and righteous and just, and it doesn't matter what the sin is. Um, God can't can't look upon sin, and so people um, need to understand but that for the left, there is no sin. You know, there right. is no sin for the Christian left. It is it is something they've actually eradicated the belief in original sin. Because if you still hold to original sin, then, you know, it means that there has to be something in your life that is wrong, you know, or that doesn't meet a standard. And they can't, they can't, it doesn't fit into the narrative and the agenda. So they had to really do away with that really orthodox Christian view that we have original sin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just as plain as can be in the Bible. So I don't understand that. Um, but I'm going to move on. Okay. How can we protect our minds from this progressive ideology? And then what can we do to combat it? Sure. So let me maybe speak, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, going after the left here a little bit, right? So let me talk to the right side of the equation. And there's a cycle that I introduce in this book. And I want to be fair, you know, I really, I really, this is not a hit book on the left. I really wanted to be fair about some of the extremes that we have on both sides that we have to address. And there's a cycle in, in uh, um, I think, in evangelical Christians that they experience that I call worry, anger, apathy. And basically in this, you know, what happens is we see somebody who we know or love, maybe it's a, a, a you know, a sibling or a child or a daughter or, you know, family member, a good friend, and you see them kind of start to embrace these progressive ideas. And so you worry about them. Maybe you worry about their lifestyle. Maybe you worry about some of the things that they're, you know, permitting. Maybe you worry about who they're voting for, you know, whatever that is. And we have a tendency, if we're not really walking in grace and, and the Holy Spirit very well, we have a tendency to start using guilt manipulation, like whatever method we can, like you're going to do what? That's wrong. Don't you know? And we're trying to just to talk them out of it because we're worried about them. We care about them. And the response is worry. And if that doesn't work and rarely manipulation does work, yeah. um, it moves us into the second phase. And that second phase is anger. And we get angry. And of course, if this is somebody we don't know, it becomes, you know, kind of this angry tweet culture and, and you know, the, the Twitter wars and the meme culture and everything else that's out there. And we're just angry. And you hear these statements like every Democrat's a demon rat and these, you know, ridiculous things that, you know, people say just out of anger, you know, thinking that they're helping somebody. But that's the anger also. It doesn't usually help the situation. Um, and so that when that doesn't work, eventually what happens is people throw their hands up in the air. And they essentially say, there's nothing I can do about it. And they give up. And that this third phase, this apathy, I think is the most dangerous. And, and that is that um, we stop trying, we stop helping, we stop speaking. And, and I think in actuality, a lot of progressive Christians, in fairness to them, I think that doctrines on the left have been appealing to them because of the apathy on the right. And I think they've seen some of the, you know, uh, 
uh, people on the right that are just, you know, in their minds kind of warming the pews and not actually doing anything to help the hurting, the dying, the the down and out, the immigrant, you know, and and I understand that. Uh, and and, the, it, and so these leftist ideas start seeming very attractive to them. Um, but the problem is in order to get, you know, although the heart behind some of that, there might be some good intentions there. The methodology and the force and the control and the uh, the sort of um, you know totalitarian doctrines that arise from this, especially politically but also religiously, um, are detrimental you know to faith and to freedom and to our experience you know on this earth. And so it's it's a very it's a challenge. So I think that we have to break out of that cycle. And I think the only way to break out of that cycle is to really follow Jesus's example and really the example of the early church, and that is to die to ourselves. And this is one of the reasons why I think liberation theology is so quickly, easily dismissed is because it is it is the exact opposite of dying to self. Liberation theology demands that you speak truth to power. And here's the beautiful thing about Christianity. I speak love to everyone. And and, you know, I don't have to force. I don't have to control. I don't have to try to get you to see my way. And at the end of the day. If the state doesn't like that or they want to cancel me or they want to, you know, uh, you know, I call this Herodian politics. If they can't shut you up, they're going to imprison you. If they can't imprison you, just like John the Baptist, they'll eventually cut off your head. And we, we have we have example after example after example in church history of people who were martyred for their faith and they didn't demand anything. Most of them went willingly. They were joyous to be able to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Um and, and I hope that no one in America ever has to experience that. Um, but my fear is that if we ever came to that place, that most of us aren't ready to. Okay. And, and that we actually would not have the strength to stand in that type of atmosphere. And I think that we have to start now um, with the hope that that never takes place, learning to die to ourselves. Because whether we ever face persecution on that scale or not, it's still it draws us to the heart of God and it helps us actually show love to the world. Yeah. So, so good, Lucas. Um, that's not a popular thing to say, to deny yourself. Um, but that's exactly what Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And um, I think about Stephen going to the cross, I mean, going to to be martyred and um, was kind of the same response as the Lord, like forgive them for they know not yeah. what they do. And um, so I agree completely with, with what you just said. I want to just give you the last word if you could sit down um, with the people that are watching, what is the one thing that you want them to take away from uh, your book or from this conversation? You know, first off, I, I hope they can see the heart of this. This is not about policing doctrine. This is not about, um, you know, trying to give further divide between left and right. This is not about, um, you know, me trying to say that my doctrine is perfect or that I have a perfect handle on the truth. There is, and I, and I introduced this in the book, this this kind of model of orthodoxy. And I, I grew up here uh, basically on Lake Michigan. And, and uh, you know, I'm a terrible swimmer, which is, you know, funny for somebody who grew up near the lake. But um, there, you know, you go out there to the water and you see these, these buoys that sort of float around and they're anchored on this chain or cable down to the bedrock of the, the lake bottom. And they're able to kind of just float around like this as the waves and the wind comes. Um, 
And, you know, if I go out there when I was a kid and I'd play in the water and, you know, you look up and you wave to your parents and five minutes later you look up and you're like 50 yards down because the current just sort of takes you. If we don't tether ourselves to something, we have a tendency to just, be, you know, kind of be carried with the current. And I think that's where a lot of Christians are today. You know, Pew Forum identified that only 24 percent of the church believes that the Bible is infallible. Uh, that means that 76 percent of the church, church going Christians believe that the Bible is something less than the the you know uh, infallible word of God. And so uh, that's a problem. And we it just shows how we have you know kind of untethered ourselves uh, from the this this bedrock of the word. And, and so we have the ability when we are fixed on the word to kind of float around and you might see something like this and I might see something like this. But if we're connected to the source, we can find unity in the body of Christ. But the moment that somebody gets cut away from that or cuts themselves away from that and begins to drift out, we don't have the privilege of calling that or describing that Christian any longer because it is something other than the gospel. It's what Paul calls a different gospel. Uh, that is being proclaimed. And so as much as I love these people, and as much as some of these people are even friends of mine, I, I've taken some great um, you know, risk professionally by speaking out about this topic. And I know that there are those that would love to cancel me as a result of identifying these things. But I love them too much to not say something. And I hope that that comes through. And I hope that this doesn't just weaponize fundamentals, you know, uh, fundamentalists to um, to attack those on the left. But it really it, it equips us to be able to love people where they are and to help lead them back to the truth. Yeah, so, so good. Lucas, so proud of you. So excited for this book to come out. And um, everybody, I think every Christian needs to read this book. So I thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'll just say this. It's, uh, uh, it's available wherever books are sold. And of course, though, if you go over to lucasmiles.org, you get an autographed copy and we have books in stock. We actually got them before Amazon and we are shipping now. Yay. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Take care. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com, for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Philip, and I would love to connect with you there. 